The, uh, I know there was a lot of questions yesterday regarding some of the things, especially the seals, um, the seven seals, and there were some questions that some had, like, um, in the notes, where were the seven seals? And there's a reason for that. Anytime you get into how God works, I've always said that God works very numerically. I think he's a God of numbers. Um, and you see that when you go back into the scriptures, when you see things like the number three, the number four, the number 12. Anytime you see those numbers, you and 40 is a big one. God has some plan as he works through those numbers. And if you go back to creation, there's this pattern that God uses. And it's what we call a six and one, six and one pattern. Um, six days of creation, one day of rest. Well, when you get into the seals, the trumpets and the bowls, you have a six and one pattern in the book of Revelation because what he does is John or Jesus reveals to John six seals and then there's this commercial break and then he reveals the seventh seal. Then when he gets into the seventh seal, it's seven trumpets and he reveals six trumpets and then there's a pause and then you have the seventh trumpet. And then when he reveals the seven bowls, that's when things change because that's when everything just kind of, it just gets poured out. Um, because that is God's final wrath, uh, you might say, as he begins to just pour out his, his final judgment on creation. So we will get into the seventh seal uh, today, uh, but that was why it was kind of um, put on pause, is because scripturally there's this break in between, especially when you get into chapter 7. Now yesterday we talked about the sixth seal, and we talked about the things that took place, and how the earth was starting to be um, partially, uh, it was partially going through some severe catastrophe. Um, so then there was a heavenly and earthly catastrophes that took place. And then I talked to you about what does it mean to be sealed? Uh, because there is the seals of Revelation and there's what does it mean to be sealed? And if you want to go back uh, into the Old Testament, remember God always revealed himself through fire, um, something that was fire. If you go back to the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, the Day of Atonement, whenever God's presence would come, it would come as fire and it would consume the offering in the Holy of Holies. Uh, that's where the high priest would go. Interesting enough, if you look at Jesus, Jesus is our what? Our high priest. He enters into the Holy of Holies and he sets himself up on the Bema seat as judgment for God, and God's fire comes down, and it basically he becomes our sacrifice. Um, so there's that Old Testament reference. Then, if you notice, anytime God reveals himself in fire, we know in the Old Testament there was this time span where God was not absent, but he wasn't, he was kind of silent. Uh, there wasn't, God, people didn't hear from God. We get into the Messianic time, the Gospels, and then we get into the book of Acts. And we know that at that moment, when we get into the book of Acts at Pentecost, what came down and rested on the heads of the disciples? Fire. God's glory. So God always reveals himself in fire. His fire descended on them. It says they spoke in languages that other people knew or people from different um, dialects and different countries. Interesting enough, Pentecost um, was the perfect time for God's Holy Spirit to come on Jerusalem because people from all over the known world were descending on Jerusalem for a feast day. So they were there, and on that day, God's Holy Spirit exploded, and they began to share the gospel. 
And what a lot of people don't realize is those individuals then went home to their countries or wherever they lived, and guess what they did? Spread the gospel. Now you might understand why Paul and some of the apostles had such a difficult time with the church because the church was exploding, but they didn't have any content. So they had to immediately, Peter went to one region, James went to another region, Paul went to another region, and they had to immediately begin to start putting this fledgling church together that was just exploding, but they had no no foundation really or no content to really play off of. So when we talk about being sealed, we know that we're sealed or the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that faith comes on us and that the Spirit of Christ rests within us. That is part of being sealed, and it's also a seal that is a sign of ownership or protection. Um, God's people are sealed with the Holy Spirit. One thing that I didn't give to you yesterday that is in the notes that I have for you today is a, a box that looks something like this. In Matthew 24, it's called the Olivet Discourse. And if you go to Matthew 24, you will find that all the seals that are listed will line up with the book of Revelation. So Jesus gave us this prelude to John's revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's how they, they work. And I gave them those. Those are in the notes that I gave you. Um, so you can kind of see that we've got this, this momentum going. Jesus has already given it. John just takes it and, and expounds on those seals and how they begin to unfold. Um, Yesterday we stopped, we talked about the timetable for the rapture. I think we ended here. Um, correct me if, we, if I didn't. Um, but we talked about, we talked about earlier the various views of the rapture. Um, again, I will say uh, you might already have a particular view that you lean towards. I'm not here to persuade you. I'm here to educate so that you're aware of the fact that there's different views. Um, one of them, obviously, probably the most popular view that we have, at least in North America. However, it was not the first view that came out of the early church, and I'll talk to you about that, is the pre-tribulationist view. Um, the pre-tribulationist view places the rapture at the beginning of the final seven years of tribulation, and the evidence for this is due to silence or the fact that the church is not mentioned in this section of the book dealing with the tribulation, or this section of the book of Revelation. Again, if you've read anything from uh, Jenkins and LaHaye or various other authors, they, uh, they have certain texts that they will go to to say, this is why the pre-tribulationist rapture is, oh, is, in their minds, is the way to study. Um, they will say passages in Revelation. Remember I said yesterday when, when a voice from heaven told John, come up here. That's what some will say. Well, that's where the church is called home. Um, others will say that throughout the scriptures, the Bible says that the church will not go through God's wrath. So he helps them come out of God's wrath. I will say that's true. However, what they, I think they misunderstand is the first three and a half years is not a year or not three and a half years of wrath. Those are actually times of false peace. So God's wrath, literally his wrath doesn't happen till later. So you have to begin to look at that as well and ask yourself, okay, how does that fit in regards to God's church being rescued? Um, 
You have to go back to the Old Testament and know that any time, if you even go back to the Exodus movement, God rescued his people, but he didn't take them out of the wrath that was there, going clear back to the Passover. If you go back to the Passover, remember the death angel passed over the land of Egypt, the land of Goshen, and the Israelite people were called to put the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, and that was a sign to the death angel to pass over that house. God didn't take them out of the wrath. They were actually in the middle of it. He rescued them from the wrath. So anytime you see a reference to God pulling his people out of his wrath, they often go through it. So there is a, a little bit of give, you have to have a little give and take on this particular view. This is a newer view. It actually didn't come about, I believe it was until the 1960s, somewhere in there. It's a very early view. Um, and I don't even remember the individual that kind of got it kind of steamrolling. Um, but it is a very popular view. Um, and it's popular, obviously, because we hope for the best. We hope that the church is gone. Um, there's also the mid-tribulationist view. This places the rapture at the midpoint of the seven-year tribulational period. Not as popular a view. Um, um, it has lost momentum uh, over time. Uh, but there are a few people that still hold to the fact that they believe God's wrath is going to come kind of in the middle. I, 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 the only reason I struggle with it is I, I often look at, God doesn't often give us a timeline. So, you know, he, he tends to kind of have a little bit of give and take here. Um, but it is a view, even though not popular, one that some hold to. Um, Post-tribulationist view, this places the rapture after the second three and a half years of tribulation, which believes that we will go through the wrath of God, but that God will cover. He will, he will protect us. No on the flood. We will be in the wrath, but he will protect us. Um, what that looks like, don't know. This also is not one of the more popular views. Um, however, there are still some that hold to this and believe that we will have to go through it. Um, some will say, even out of this view, that the reason the church has to go to, through it is because we become the primary means of evangelism. Um, so there's also this one, pre-wrath view. Uh, this position is that Christ will rapture his church immediately after he, the Antichrist, cuts short the great tribulation. I'm sorry, after God cuts short the great tribulation by the Antichrist and immediately before he, God, unleashes his day of the Lord judgment on the ungodly world. Um, that, is a, that actually is a view that was held by the early church, and then people got away from it. Um, students and scholars got away from it, and now it, it has gained steam again. Um, I think probably more so as we get closer to the time in which people are like, things are getting a little hairy. Um, so basically, this view is that God plucks his church from the earth before and as Christ is coming to bring his wrath on the earth. So where does it happen? Most would say it happens about the midpoint after, uh, because the first three and a half years are the times of the Antichrist. The second three and a half, somewhere in there, we know that Jesus comes, and as he's coming, he rescues his church and he brings wrath on the earth. Um, if you want, there's a lot of different authors. I shared with you some yesterday. Uh, Robert Van Campen has written some. Uh, there's a book out there called The Sign um, that is actually written by a guy that's not even a pastor. I think he's a businessman, 
that wrote this book. I remember somebody shared it with me and I and they told me who he was and I thought, there's no way a businessman is gonna write this book on that topic. And I read it and it was actually very good, very informative. Um, so it gives you kind of a, a different vantage point of what look things look like um, from beginning to end. Questions? That's a lot right there. <laughs> Yep. I don't know if I gave you. I think in your notes there's actually a diagram um, that I put in there. E nope, there's another one. Maybe it's not in there. Nope. Uh, it actually, I'll show you what it looks like. It looks like that. Sorry. Okay. Um, sorry, I should probably should have put that in there as well. Um, but it's actually a diagram that just lays out where Revelation breaks down. And then it shows the different views where the rapture might oh, yeah, take place. Is. is it there? Oh. That's it. All right. Gotta keep um, going. Oh, in our original. Yeah. Yes. Um, keep going. That one actually breaks down Revelation 1, 2, and 3, and then 4 through 22, and it shows you how things begin to unfold. Um, later this week, probably around Friday, we'll get into the millennium and what that hold scripturally and what does it mean and um, I will say this before we get there remember that six and one model there are many people that believe that the earth is approximately 6,000 years old honestly I don't know um, you know I've read I've read Ken Ham who's very much a young earth creationist I've read Hugh Ross who is a theistic evolutionist he believes the earth is <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. Um, and he believes that God started it and things kind of progressed from there. Okay. I had a guy in my church that I was at in Ohio that actually loved reading Hugh Ross. Um, I've just gotten to the place where it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm not sure. I sense that, that things were done in a particular manner. But one of the things I do like is the fact that God works in this six and one pattern. So if the earth is 6,000 years old, it would make sense that at some point there would be this 1,000-year period that would come up. And if you go back, what was the day of rest about in the creation event? It was a day of rest. Jesus comes. He reigns over the earth. Satan is bound. And he reigns for this 1,000-year period, which is considered by many to be a Sabbath rest. Um, so that's one of the things that we're going to see is that even when the Jews were disobedient, many have gone back and said that because the Jews were in Israel for 490 years, for every year, God said, for every year that you did not give the land a Sabbath rest, you will be exiled from the land. Well, if you divide seven into 490, you get 70 years. And they were 70 years in exile in Babylon. So God said, I'm going to give my land its Sabbath rest. Remember, what did he say about when we would plant? Plant a field for six years, and on the seventh, give it a year of rest. Let it lay, I think the word is fallow. Um, let it lay, give it its rest, and then I will give you what you need for that seventh year in the sixth or the previous years so that you have enough for your family. The farmers still do that. They do. Uh, some, not many. Well, no, but I meant there are some that still, when that one, you get one year that there's nothing planted in that particular. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of them now. I've noticed that they will switch their fields. They'll let yes. certain fields lay rest. Yeah. Oh yeah. He 
because each cat takes a different different stuff out of the land. So yes. you want to give it a chance to respond. Corn is different from wheat, which is different from beans. Too much farmer seeds. Yes. <laughs> I don't know how they figure it all out, but. Well, that's how I have computers. It's all every most of it's all on computer now, so they know which field had what planted in it, and they just keep. I, I rode. I rode with the farmer in his combine, and he's got one of the new combines. Oh, and he, he said, "Oh, just he'd else? stop at the end, just a minute, and he did a hit a button, and then he'd just sit there, and put his hands yes. down, and away we go." Yes. Same so. thing. Does they got tractors that do that too? Now, yeah. so like when you're spraying, the only time you have to do it is, is to shut it off turn and just turn around at the end of the row. <laughs> go ahead. I was just going to on the pre wrath view. That uh, that was a predominant view from the time of Christ until the Civil War, approximately? I'm not sure if that was about, it could have been, but yeah, it was the predominant view for a long time. And the church believed that the church would have to go through some of it. And then somewhere along the line, it shifted. But yeah, that could be a, a date. Um, I need to do more research. On. I, I just have never heard that before, and it's uh, fascinating, because I knew that the... Uh, the pre-trib is a fairly recent mm -hmm. thing and, and it's very popular because it's all good news. Of course, yeah. Of but course. I, it's God when he moves, you know, like when he came as a child of lowly birth and all of that we've studied and learned all our lives, it was, none of that was expected for the people that were alive at that time. It was all revelation wow when god moves it brings completion that's just so spectacular it's beyond what we really can fully comprehend prior to his appearing yep so it's going to be an exciting time and a revealing time all of it will finally make sense i think too anytime you see massive evangelistic moments in our history it never comes because we're living life wonderfully. God always works in the midst of persecution and suffering. And I think in that period of time, if that is the direction, I think what you're going to see is you're going to see this massive um, revival going on. People are going to flood to the church. And that's why I say the church needs to be ready. Some churches won't be ready. But again, I've always said this is what we're made for. We need to be ready for people to come flooding back to the church. Um, and so that's where we begin to see a lot of this. I, I have a few quotes that I'll share with you. They're not going to be on the screen, but here's one that comes from George Ladd, um, because there are many people that believe that, yes, the church is going to have to go through some period of suffering. George Ladd, he said, we have already pointed out that it is clear teaching of scripture that the church will never suffer the wrath of God. He believes, and he's a pre-tribber, he believes that we won't suffer the wrath of God. And, and I believe that. I believe, yes, but that doesn't mean we won't go through some of that if God protects. Now, here's what George Gundry said. He's of he's a, the pre-trib position as well. As now, the church will suffer persecution during the tribulation, but no saint can suffer divine wrath. Okay, makes sense. Here's what Oliver Buswell said. He's a mid-trib uh, proponent. But the wrath of God is not for the church. By the blood of Christ, we shall be saved through him from wrath. So there are many across the board in whatever view, they all pretty much hold the fact that the church won't have to suffer the wrath, but they might, some would say, have to go through it. So 
I don't know. Again, what did I say the other day? Hope for the best. Be prepared for the worst. Yes. Well, it's just like Pastor Joe said, I think, last night. God will hurt us, but he won't harm us. Right. So that means we're going to, I think we're going to go through some of it. But in the end... And there might be some that will step outside of that covering um, to be agents of grace in the world, um, because we know, too, that there's going to be those that will their lives will be martyred for their faith are today. Um, yeah, so missionaries of the time that are. Um, go to chapter 8. This uh, should say chapter 8, the seventh seal. I'm not sure which document I gave it to you in. First um, one. First, all right. Um, chapter 8. Um, the final seal. Uh, if you begin to look in chapter 8, uh, this is why many scholars believe that there are no women in heaven because it says there was silence. <laughs> Sorry, that one never goes over quite well with all the ladies, but uh, uh, anyway, no, there was silence in heaven, and the Bible says that the seventh seal is opened, and the reason there is silence is because the wrath of God now is beginning to unfold. So in the seventh seal are seven trumpets, and I gave you a little bit of a diagram that should have like seals, trumpets, bowls, and it lists them all. Um, now the silence in heaven, it could mean two things. It could mean that it was the revealing of God's wrath, which was just, it brought silence to heaven. It also could be, um, the silence to hear the cries, uh, for deliverance and justice from God's persecuted servants. We don't know, but we just know that it was a time in which it brought silence to heaven. And the Bible says for about a half an hour, um, the final seal is the seven trumpets, um, again, seven is a number of completeness or a number of perfection. Um, trumpets represent an announcement. Uh, so, uh, again, it's not a group of dancers at the Republican National Convention. The trumpets, get it? Sorry, a little attempt of humor, but trumpet one. Isn't that what you just told us? What's that? Up here on tap where it says silence to hear the cries. Silence uh, could have been to hear the cries for deliverance and justice. Of God's persecuted servants. Yep. Got them in the right spot. Then the final seal, again, you'll look at the first four trumpets and then the first four bowls, and there's a correlation between the two. So the first trumpet, it says that a third of the earth or the land is destroyed by hail and fire mixed with blood. Blood is added to it for intensity. Um, so we see that. But then if you later on, we're going to talk about the bowls. Guess what? God's judgment is poured out on the land. So now it's complete. There's a third which is a warning or announcement. And then there's complete judgment that takes place in the bowls. And again, bowls, bowl judgments are pouring. Judgment uh, Trumpets are announcing it. So people actually have, a, I would call trumpets a little bit of grace, um, but they're announcements that this is coming um, or this is coming partially to announce what is going to come fully. Um, then you have the trumpet two, a fiery mountain thrown into the sea, turns part of the sea into blood. Uh, reminiscent of the first plague. And you'll notice too that as you talk about these seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bowl judgments, many of them do resemble 
the plagues of the Old Testament and the Exodus movement. Bowl two is God's judgment is poured out on the sea completely. So you've got partial and complete. Then, if I go too fast, tell me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'll go back. We lost. We've got trumpet. Trumpet one was what? Trumpet one was a third of the land, or earth. Land. Which is what? Parentheses. Land. Oh, okay. So, either way. And then, and then bowl, uh, bowl, one. bowl one is God's judgment is poured out on the land. It's a complete pouring. So the land is okay, okay. devastated. Thank you. Next one is see. trumpet two. It says that a fiery mountain is thrown into the sea and it turns part of the sea into blood. Okay. Again, that's reminiscent of the Exodus movement and the plagues. Yes. Um, and again, if you ever go back, there are all sorts of, you can watch Discovery Channel. They're always trying to explain what did happen in the Exodus movement and the plagues. And, and I've had professors that have said, well, one thing led to the next, led to the next. And they all kind of like accordion together, um, which might be true. Uh, many believe that the Exodus plagues actually happened like lengthy periods of time apart. Don't know. Um, you know, I wasn't there. So reality was, as the scriptures seem to suggest, that these things took place and God's wrath came out on the people. Bowl two is that God's judgment is poured out. It's complete on the sea. So then it suggests that the sea completely is turned to blood red. Then bowl or trumpet three, it says that a huge fiery star falls from the sky and turns the freshwater springs and rivers bitter. So now you've got the sea, salt water, and now the freshwater, a third of them, are going to be turned bitter. Bowl three, then, God's judgment is poured out on the rivers and springs completely. So, go ahead. Can you, can you explain, like, what the bowl means? Like, what is the symbolism of that? Like, I see the pouring out. But what is, what is the, why a bowl? Bowl, it's actually just a, um, symbolically, it's just a typical bowl. Um, there, and I don't know if there is any connection to, like, the sacrifices of the Old Testament, because there was always the pouring out, um, the blood sacrifice. They would often catch the blood and pour it out. But symbolically, it just means that it's not going to be partial. It's going to be like dumped. And yeah. there's, there's no ands, ifs, or buts. It's going to be complete. So that's really the primary purpose behind it. Good enough. Yeah, because when you go back there... To, to all the sacrifices, there was bowls for everything. Yes, yeah, bowls of water, bowls of blood, bowls of they yeah, the all bowls sorts out there where they had to wash their hands before they went and done anything. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah, uh, Thank you. you're welcome. Um, so now we've got we've lost the fresh water um, partially and then completely. Bowl four, trumpet four. Then there's partial darkness during the day and the night which is kind of interesting, um, meaning that even at night, and many would say, well, yeah, it's already dark at night. Well, it potentially talks about the fact that we lose our reflector. Potentially, maybe the moon doesn't reflect the light of the, of the sun. So we're losing not only that, but we're losing part of that or more of it. Then in bowl four, God's judgment is poured out on the sun, and we literally will live in darkness. Um, so the sun is darkened and what that looks like? Does it mean literally that the sun is darkened? Does it mean an eclipse that just doesn't end? 
Don't know. Um, Eskimos. Uh, <laughs> could be. Yeah. <laughs> Living in Alaska. Um, yeah, we just don't know. But we know that obviously there's going to be, sorry, that there's going to be some things that are going to unfold that are going to be devastating. Um, you know, living in darkness obviously is going to be devastating. Um, then we're going to take a break uh, here because then we go from trumpet four to these two witnesses. Um, as you get into the scriptures, the Bible talks about these two guys. Um, and where do we find them? You have to go to, and uh, hang on. This says seals part two. There should be a page. It says two witnesses at the top. Yeah, it has a picture of the temple. On. Temple's in there, yes. And the question is, uh, who are these two guys? Because um, all the Bible says, it looks like this. Looks like this. It's right after the page that had the rapture discussion. Is it in the other one? What does it look like? It's in the original. The original? Okay. That's it. This is the seventh one. There we go. All right. Um, who are these two guys? Well, we know that the Bible says that these two men are witnesses that are sent by God. Who they are, we're not sure. Um, there are suggestions that one of them is Elijah. Um, obviously, in the scriptures, we know that Elijah never died. And the Bible does say that all men will come unto death but one time. Elijah never died. Some believe it's Moses. Interesting enough, God buried Moses, or, and so we don't know where he was buried. I think that would be the topic of a great Indiana Jones movie. Um, I, yes, so. I, I just thought that myself recently, hearing the story told. I was thinking, yeah, let's go, Indy. Let's go see, find it. It's got to be, got to be quite a place. Uh, others have suggested Enoch that it might have been him, um, and then others have said it might be the church. Um, honestly, we don't know, but we do know that these guys have great power and that they are hated by the Antichrist. And eventually they are killed um, and they are left to basically rot on the streets of Jerusalem. But then the Bible says they're resurrected and um, it's going to be seen by the entire world. Um, so I'm not I'm not certain who these people are. I don't know. I'm not sure that it really matters um, for us. It's kind of an interesting little thing to study. I like to go back and study like, okay, Moses was buried by God. Hmm, that makes sense. You know, Joel, Elijah never Joel died. Joel was discussing that Sunday night. Yeah. It's a and That's when I thought, yeah, let's do a movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, I think it would be worth it. And, uh, yeah. In fact, yeah. I just read that they're actually thinking of coming out with another Indiana Jones movie. Um, <laughs> well, I hope they got the same guy playing the part. Supposed to be the same guy. So Because yeah. if it's not the same one, it's just not going to fit. <laughs> so um, the question is, is what is their power? Well, we know that they prophesy. We know that they proclaim the truth of God's word. Well, we um, it should be right on that same page at the bottom. Um, they will prophesy and proclaim the truth of God's word. Uh, again, that's why the Antichrist hates them. Um, and uh, that's why eventually they are going to be uh, killed for their faith. Um, 
What is their purpose? Should be the next page, I think. <coughs> and again, I apologize for the notes. Um, that was kind of a rush job on my part because I wasn't planning on bringing them. Uh, well, what is their purpose? It says they will prophesy for three and a half years. This is the second three and a half years of the tribulation period, and they will be a part of God's counteroffensive against the Antichrist. So they will basically be that thorn in the side of the Antichrist. Uh, and what happens through them, I'm not real sure. What is their message, though? They do have a message that they will preach that is, their message is not one of salvation. I didn't get the, this is the second. They will, they're not going to come. You're not, they're not going to preach salvation where people can repent. They're basically going to be um, individuals that will be prophetic. Destruction. God's destruction is coming. Um, and So what's that, the message? That is the message. Of what? Prophetic the prophetic message of destruction for those that follow the Antichrist. Yes. Okay, back to screen four. If these two witnesses are going to come back during, during three and a half years of tribulation, that will seem to me, to me, and maybe I'm confused, that the church is going to still be here at some point. If these guys are coming back. Who are they prophesying to? I guess is what I'm Well, and that's where... They will be they will be uh, giving a message that goes to those that follow the Antichrist. So that's why their message is not evangelistic. It's going to be doom and gloom. And anytime uh, you see a prophet, even in the Old Testament, anytime you see a prophet come on the scene, he never comes when things are good. So you know it's like uh, you know who wants to be a prophet today? It's like oh not me, because um, they always come when things are bad. Um, you know think about Jonah. Think about um, Jeremiah, you know, Jeremiah, the, uh, the weeping prophet, never had any, good thing to say. No, nothing good to say. It's like, oh, who's that guy? He's coming to say something again that's going to, and that's what they're going to do. Well, I think that kind of fits with the Old Testament pattern, right? Because the early prophets in the Old Testament, their message was one more of repentance. Yep. Turn before it's too late. But then the late prophets are, it's too late and it's coming. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and interesting, I'm glad you said that because if you go back, God always sends two prophets. The first one comes and says, repent, which is God's grace. You know, people that read the Old Testament say, oh, it's just God's judgment. It's like, no, it's not. God always sent a prophet to call people to repentance. Amen. And then he sent a second one, said, you can still repent, the second one, but it's too late. Judgment is at your doorstep. Um, and so that was the beauty. I love, I love that because anytime somebody comes to me, oh, the Old Testament is just doom and gloom. It's like, have a seat. You know, let's chat for a little bit. Because I'm going to tell you how God's grace continues to work out. Even in the Old Testament, he urges people, repent, repent, repent. Um, and they don't. And if you go back into the book of um, Judges, you'll notice that. And there is this interesting cycle that takes place in the book of Judges where we see, you know, the people are going to sin. God calls them to repent. They don't consequence and eventually they come back and that's that same cycle in fact i think that cycle has happened seven times in the book of judges where they constantly go back to their sin and so that's these two are basically saying it's too late you have now stood and are standing before the judgment of of christ i had never heard the uh, those two prophets referred to as the church before mm -hmm. 
but my goodness, I look at where our culture is today in America. We are so divided between the Word of God and the secular humanistic view for man. And if we were to stand up in a public place and proclaim God's truth, there's so much anger against God's holy word right now and what he is. He wants to pour out his blessings, but he can't unless we're living a life according to his holy word, that we could be martyred. Those guillotines could be fired up. I mean, there's so much anger yeah. against the truth of the word of God. And many churches are even embracing the antichrist theology. And it is so scary. And yet, like when we were youths here at Bay Shore back in the day, we never would have believed that sin could be so rampant as it is today. Yeah. And our, our pastor in our church a few weeks ago, he said, what is the greatest threat to freedom? And he said, freedom. Right. Because people are choosing the, the world instead of the truth of God's word. But I never heard that before. But our church, we could be the message. Because if the church really was walking in the power of the Spirit, with especially those that have the gift of prophecy, and they were to pro proclaim God's truth from a public platform, they would be severely persecuted. Sure, yeah. This is a, a day in which God's calling on your life, you should look at it with fear and trembling. Um, in fact, I'm one of the, uh, I have, I oversee the North District for our licensing team for our denomination, I, me and another pastor. And um, one of my first questions to any licensee is tell me about your calling. And then they tell me their calling. And I said, is there anything else you can do besides this? And they look at me like, this should be a celebrative time. The Lord's calling me into ministry. And I always will go back and say, let's not call it a celebrative time. Let's call it a calling. And what is before you, you should approach with fear and trembling. Because this is not a time where God's calling on your life is going to be something that is going to be like a bowl of cherries. Yeah, it's not. Um, and I tell people, if you, if you can find anything else to do, do it. But if God's calling is true on your life, he will not leave you alone. Well, like, like he was just saying about your freedom, you know, about that's part of the problem and whatever. My daughter sent me this thing one day in a text. It says, America lost its true identity when value was placed on suits and a signature rather than overalls and a handshake. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting time. And um, again, a great time for the church that yeah, we need to be she ready. Said. She said, we got to um, get on it. Yep, we do. Um, where am I at? What is their, what is their message? Sorry. There, that's okay. What is the result? Uh, the, what is the result? And that is a revealing of the power of God that will take place through these two individuals. Um, they will have great power, and you will see a Jewish revival out of this. Um, there will be individuals that will according to scriptures, especially Jews that will come back, they will realize who the Antichrist is and they will turn their back on him, uh, especially when he sets himself up in the Holy of Holies in the temple. Uh, they will turn their back because they realize this is not the Messiah. Um, it's unfortunate that it gets to that place, yeah. but you will see that. Um, then we get from there, then we, get, we have this break. Now we get into the seventh trumpet. 
Um, and then when the seventh trumpet is sounded, it says God will reveal seven bowls. Um, so these bowls contain the wrath of God and they will bring final devastation to the earth. Again, we have the six and one pattern. Six, God takes a break, commercial break. Oh, well, meanwhile, back at the ranch, here we have the seventh trumpet. Seventh trumpet is blown and we have this huge um, announcement of God's wrath being poured out. Um, I'll stop there. Any any questions? Ready to fill in the blank. What does the seventh trumpet also announce? It announces the beast out of the sea. Um, well, that's not on here. The beast. This, this is uh, da, 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 maybe final consummation of the blank and blank. Alpha and omega. Oh. So what does the seventh trumpet announce? The Alpha and Omega, it announces Jesus' reign and the world is his kingdom. Okay. And then finally, the ark. Yeah. Once hidden away in the most sacred and inaccessible part of the temple or in this large warehouse way in the back of some <laughs> box. It is now visible to all. It is magnetized. It is. <laughs> as I recall. <laughs> um, the way into God's presence is now wide open. The ark. That is amazing. Anybody know what the three things inside of the ark are? Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Adam's. Aaron's. 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 Tablets. 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 And manna. Manna, and what was the third one? Peanut butter jar. Rod. Rod. Aaron's Peanut, rod. Aaron's, Aaron's budding rod, yep. Peanut butter jar. Never heard that That's what Joel called it. <laughs> that was what Joel called it okay. the other night when he was what talking is the, about it. Oh, the way into God's presence is? The way wide into... Open. Wide open. Then we get into the seventh trumpet, and from there, I'm not sure where your notes are, so correct me if I move ahead. The heavenly announcement of triumph and conclusion is verse 15, and this passage marks the point in which the hosts of heaven rejoice because Jesus is going to reclaim creation. I'll say it again. This passage marks the point in which the hosts of heaven rejoice because Jesus is going to reclaim creation. That's right. We then... Oh, we get 24 elders surrounding the throne. Yes. Oh, down to worship because he Now, is some of your notes I'm probably going to kind of go over. Um, however, I can send you my notes, too, so that you have the fill in the blank. Otherwise, um, Family Camp is going to go for the next three weeks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's okay. So, uh, so let me go to this section. When the seventh trumpet is sounded, God will reveal seven bulls. We've got that. Then what does the seventh trumpet announce? It announces the beast out of the sea. And it pretty much announces this, this transformed antichrist. Um, so as we begin to see this unfold, uh, we have some many different things. But if you go back to your notes. Well, here's the beasts. the next page. Give me a second because i got to figure out where I'm at. <laughs> Should be, yes, it should talk about the two beasts at the top and down towards the bottom, chapter 13. It'll say the beast out of the sea. Where is that? 
at the top, it'll say to yeah. the left side, the two wit the two beasts. Yeah. Okay, down towards the bottom is where we're, we're actually at. And uh, there's a lot of information in there. I apologize that we're not going over all of it. But um, there is this beast out of the sea because there's two beasts that come along. Mm -hmm. uh, this beast is a conglomeration of all the wicked beasts mentioned in Scripture. Um, How do you spell that? Conglomeration, C-O-N-G-L-O-M-E-R-A-T-I-O-N. He's a man. He's a literal man. Um, how will we know who he is? Well, the Bible says, I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Also, Revelation 17, this calls for a mind with wisdom. And it means that those with wisdom will know who this person is. So as we begin to look at this beast, um, the beast is the Antichrist. In Scripture, there are different names that are given to the Antichrist. Um, beast from the sea, little horn in Daniel, uh, Daniel 8, master of intrigue, uh, ruler who will come, man of lawlessness. There's a whole bunch of different names for him. What? Little horn. Uh, little horn, uh, master of intrigue. All sorts of names that are given to this one individual as we look through the scriptures. Daniel spends a lot of time talking about the Antichrist. Um, Paul does some in 1 Thessalonians, but Daniel does spend a lot of time talking about this individual that will come, and he kind of breaks it down. So we've got the Antichrist. Um, the Where does he get his power? Well, he gets it from Satan. Now, I want you to think about, too, Biblically, we have God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The devil has the same. He's got the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet. It's a, he mimics. Anything de the devil does is he mimics God. Obviously, he can't come up with a better plan, so he mimics God. Um, and so the Antichrist receives his power from Satan, and we know that many in the world will worship him. And if you've watched the news at all today, there was, there was a time, I, that was mentioned, there was a time when I would have thought, people are too solid. Today, I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You know, I almost said to my daughter one day, she's 27 years old, I, I almost did and I held back, but I said, you know what, how does it feel to be the generation that will welcome in the Antichrist? Um, because I really feel that way. I, I, the stuff that I'm hearing coming out of that generation is oh, yeah. so tolerant, it's so wishy-washy every and I sit back I never thought and my girls grew up with great faith roots great faith roots I never thought I would see a generation that would be so like swayed away from the scriptures so quickly um, but that's what's going to happen um, we have uh, a personal description but then we get into and again I'm going to skip down a little bit maybe too far In Daniel chapter 8, there's actually two sections in Daniel, um, but I'm going to go down to Daniel 8, and there is this description in Daniel about the ram and the goat, and it's an explanation of the beast. Um, and the ram, uh, if you go back to the scriptures, Daniel gives this amazing description of in two different ways, in Daniel 7 and Daniel 8, and he talks about these descriptions of the beast of the sea, the beast of the land. 
and he has this description that leads up to this this moment. Um, trying to figure out the best way to unfold this to you without confusing you too much. So let's just talk about this ram and this goat. Uh, the ram mentioned in Daniel chapter 8 is actually, it represents Persia. The goat represents Greece. Um, why is that important? Well, you actually have to go back to Daniel chapter 7. This is where I might get confusing. And if I do, I apologize. Um, but it is important. If you go back to Daniel 7, he has this vision. Daniel does. And he has a vision of various nations that came in and occupied Israel. He went from Babylon, because Babylon came in, obviously, and they took the Jews out for 70 years. Babylon was eventually destroyed by the Persians. Um, if you remember in Daniel, remember there was the handwriting on the wall, and it says that the Persians were at their gate, and they completely destroyed Babylon. Well, then the Persians were destroyed by the Greeks. Alexander the Great came in, and he conquered the known world, and it was Hellenized meaning it was Greek-influenced. Then after the Greeks, the Roman Romans, Romans came in. So we got four nations that he describes in this dream or this vision that he has in Daniel 7. Then in Daniel 8, we have another description that is the ram and the goat, which is Persia and Greece. So he has two different visions describing kind of the same thing. Why is that important? Well, if you go back and look at Israel from the time that they occupied Israel to 1948. That's 2,000 years approximately. From that time, they never occupied the land. They were always occupied by somebody else until 1948. Um, if you look at a lot of the things that took place up to that moment, these visions are visions telling the Jews, these are the people that will occupy your land until the day comes which is a day that is listed in Daniel 8, where there is this one that has not come yet. And that is this leader, this new leader. There's a span of time in between after 1948, but there is this new leader that will come in, this little horn that will come in, and he will become the, a leader, a great, mighty leader in that land, and that is the Antichrist. Now, what I just gave you was a lot, a little, covering a massive amount of information. So um, I'm just giving you not even a Reader's Digest version. I just gave you the index. So I was just going to say, if um, you take the second class that's down here, you would know what you just talked about. Yes, because he's going over Daniel. Yep. Um, it's, a, it's a really fun study, um, but it's, it's like, again, I always say taking a drink out of a fire hydrant. Um, so, exactly. Um, what will this little horn, this person be? Uh, what will his actions be? Well, it says that he will grow to heaven. What do we see in, yep, grow to heaven? What do we see when they tried to bring or they tried to build the Tower of Babel? Why? They wanted to grow to heaven. What did Satan want? He wanted to ascend the throne of heaven. Everything was about self and self and self. So he will grow to heaven. He will set himself up as God. He will put himself in the temple, in the holy of holies. And that's when the Jews will rebel. That's when they will basically fight against him. Um, he will remove the daily sacrifices. Um, 
the saints will be given to him. People will turn in the saints if they're there. Again, there's a hope for the best. Be prepared for the worst. Uh, uh, He will be prosperous in everything. And again, I've said this. um, many, Many believe that the temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem. That is a sign. If that happens, keep your eyes open. Um, Again, hopefully we're gone, but if if we see it, we know the time is short uh, because whoever can make that happen is a tremendous, tremendous leader, a world leader, uh, because the Arabs and the Jews, if you're Jewish and you try to go on to the Temple Mount today, you will be escorted out. Um, So yes, you'll be thrown out. Uh, In fact, Jews for years have, snuck in, tried to sneak in and, you know, and, and today the closest they can get to the Temple Mount is anybody know the Wailing Wall. And so that's why they go to the Wailing Wall, because that is the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. Um, So uh, he will, truth will be thrown to the ground. Um, He will be very strong through the power of the dragon and he will destroy We also know that he uh, he will he will des- what's that number eight number eight he will destroy the mighty and the holy. Again, it makes you wonder. Hmm. Okay, if the church is gone, and again, I'm not trying to persuade you, but these are things I look for when I'm looking at. Okay, where is the church in all this? And it's like, okay, the mighty and the holy. Where did those individuals come from? Um, and uh, he will stand against Christ. Uh, it says that he will be defeated by Christ, not us. He will destroy Jerusalem and the temple. So the temple that he just built or had built and signed a, a treaty or covenant to build, then he destroys it. Um, it says he will make a covenant with many for seven years. This is not all in chronological order, so just so you know that somewhere in the middle of that period is when he will destroy the temple. Um, He will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and then he will set up an an improper sacrifice and worship. So uh, something to be aware of, this stuff has already happened historically. It already happened in our past. That's why some people believe that when we went to the historicist view and the, and the preterist view, those that are preterists will say, oh, this already happened. It happened through a guy called Antiochus. His name was Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, he, was, um, he was one of the generals that was uh, the breakup of the, that whole landmass under the Greeks. When Alexander died, they broke the land and gave it to four generals, and he was one of them. And there was a battle between the northern and the southern regions and the, the place that they often met was Israel. Well, one of them got his can kicked one day, and he got mad. And on his way home, he set himself up in the temple. He slaughtered the priests, and he set up a hog on, in the temple or on the, on the altar. And it was a, what they called an abomination that causes desolation. All that's happened. And if you look at Antiochus, Antichrist, many have said that happened already. So we must be in this age of the church. Um, However, just because it already happened doesn't mean it won't happen again. Um, so be aware of that. Um, yes? Uh, when you shared the view of the prophets, 
And some people have thought perhaps that's the end time church, which is the prophets. And spinning off from that, <clears throat> the Antichrist is so predominant in every strata of our culture today, especially in America and, yeah, of course, sure uh, Western Europe. Um, I could almost see him duplicating, perhaps, in his own way, the Antichrist could be all of the humanistic uh, participants that are, and they are so predominant. And even driving here today, all those signs that they put in their front yards that, that speak Antichrist sentiments, uh, all these things, it's almost like there's a mass culture now rising up that is so powerful against the church. Yeah. In fact, some have actually said that the Antichrist is not a man, it's an ideology. That's what I'm, that's what I'm yeah. trying to communicate. And I never thought about that before. But uh, as the church is the church, the anti-word, the Antichrist, is also a mass movement of people right now. Um, somebody came up to me, actually a couple people just recently, and said, hey... Do you think this whole we're out of coins stuff is a sign of the end of the age to a cashless society? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I've had people ask. It's like now everybody's saying we have no coins. You have to have credit card or exact exact change or exact cash or something like that. And uh, I said, oh, I don't know. But, uh, you know, wouldn't surprise me. So, you know, we can't be surprised by anything. We should be very well aware of a lot of the stuff that's that's taking place. Um, if you go to Thessalonians chapter 2, there's Paul also gives a description of the Antichrist, and he says that the Antichrist will set himself up as God, just like Daniel. Um, he is now being held back. Um, that's I love that. He's being held back. Today, the Bible says that even Israel is protected um, by the angel Michael. Michael is the protector of Israel, but the day will come when he will be with, removed. Um, so right now he's being held back. It says the Lord will destroy him with his breath. Some of us can do that anyways in the morning, I'm sure. Um, he will work alongside of Satan. Some have said that the Antichrist, and this is, I find it interesting, they've said that he has a mark on his head. You've heard that. Uh, uh, years ago, people said it was Gorbachev because he had that birthmark on his head. You remember that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, some others have said that it was Hitler. It's, uh, it's Hitler resurrected. The, many believe that the Antichrist is, is going to be resurrected. Um, you know, don't know. Uh, but they said, oh, maybe it's Hitler because many believe that he shot himself in the head and, and committed suicide. Don't know. I, I can tell you this. I do believe that down through history, Satan cannot, Satan is not omniscient. He's not omnipresent. He can't be all places at all time, but he can inhabit particular individuals. And if you look down through history, there seems to be particular individuals that had a bent on the Jews. And many believe that that was the individual, Nero, Hitler, uh, different individuals that had this bent on destroying the Jews, Herod, uh, all sorts of different examples, Pharaoh. Um, so anyway, he will work alongside of Satan. They will, they will do miracles. Uh, so they are empowered. Uh, I just finished a series on um, 
on Satan and understanding our enemy and understanding all that. And we got into this last Sunday, we talked about Satan and how he can attack us physically. Um, and it's, you know, some have said, oh, he can't attack a believer physically. And I, I came out and said, if you believe that, I'm sorry, you're arrogant. Um, because I believe that how God allows Satan to sometimes inflict us physically is also a tool used by God for us to grow spiritually. Um, so what's that? Joe. Exactly. And that's where we were preaching out of. I was just going to say, if they believe that something is really wrong, because <laughs> Satan, the Antichrist, more attacks Christians right. than he does the people who are already doing oh, what he wants them to do. He's going to have a big attack on us more than anybody else. So if they believe that. I, I have a family relative that kind of falls in that camp and they've actually said, um, I renounce that, you know, if they have something going wrong physically, I renounce that by the blood of Christ. And it's like, okay, you can do that. But I think there's the other side of the coin that says, sometimes God does allow physical ailments to draw us closer to him. Um, and I, I, you know, I've had people that, you know, have said, I believe that the Lord could heal me. And I would say, absolutely. But I also understand that sometimes in the midst of ailment, God is doing something where he's trying to bring me closer to him. Um, and so, you know, everybody has different vantage points and viewpoints on that issue. But um, uh, I think that's something that we will see back to the miracles. They will do miracles and he will de deceive the perishing. Um, so there'd be a lot of things going on that uh, help us understand who this person is. He will be deceptive for sure. The beast mentioned in scripture has already died and has been brought back to life, according to verses 8 and 11. Um, a counterfeit copy of the death and resurrection of Christ. Keep that in mind, a counterfeit. How that takes place, you know. Counterfeit copy. Counterfeit copy or counterfeit um, copy of the death and resurrection of Christ. How the devil can bring back somebody back to life, that's been perplexing for me, uh, trying to wrap my head around that. You know, is it something that God allows? You know, and that, see, obviously it, that is true. God has to, everything that Satan does, God allows to happen. Um, but, you know, you sit there, it's like, hmm, how, how does that happen when he is the Lord of death, basically? Yes. Um, the concept of that taking place doesn't baffle me too much. I think if we knew what was going on in the halls of science with DNA and all that stuff that was legislated at the beginning of the Obama administration, that they could do that research with stem with cells and stuff, embryos, uh, we would we would probably we couldn't comprehend we couldn't wrap around it. We would be so appalled. But there's stuff going on probably that we're unaware of. And I'd say thankfully, but it's scary because uh, if if mankind can duplicate sheep, yeah. what yeah. else won't like they try to duplicate? Yes, sure. And Satan can use that science because he's not creative, but he can try to duplicate, like you said. And uh, so anything's just about possible. And it's amazing that it was prophesied 3,000 years ago yeah. that this is exactly what would be happening today. I wouldn't have believed it 30 years ago. Maybe right. even 20 years ago, I wouldn't have believed it. But here we are. Yep. Good point. 
There was a hand over here too, I think. Thought I saw one. Okay. Um, yeah, I was just sitting here thinking, does that mean that they could clone my mother-in-law? Because that would be a... <laughs> I know. She'll never hear it. So you better believe she's over here. There's a reason he's a boy every tear, you know that, right? I would be just the guy, too, to send it to her. So. Um, that is so funny. All right, let's. Uh, we both, you, I'm sure she'd be smiling if she did hear it. <laughs> Nope. Nope. Oh, no. Nope. Thank God for my mother-in-law. Exactly. When you got a good mother-in-law, be thankful. Um, let me, we only got a few minutes, so let me stop there. Uh, any questions? So we got a couple minutes left. And then... Where is the scripture that talks about the spirit of Antichrist already being here? That's the spirit. Yes. I think that's. That's a good question. Yeah. I'll have to do some digging on that one. Yeah, because I think that goes along with what he was saying. That yeah, that's a good question. Um, let me do some digging on that one. Because, um, yeah, definitely there is a spirit. You know, it, I mean, our our whole, the history of creation has had that, that spirit, definitely. And um, it just seems to be so prevalent today. Um, and like I said to you, you know, um, you know, families that have like have brought their families up with deep, deep faith roots, and seeing some of them just go off the rails. I know it's yeah. it's, it's heartbreaking. It is. It is. And you know, there's times I come across people, and it's like, you know, you want to hit them with a stupid stick and say, "What are you thinking? Where did this come from?" Yeah. And but it's just, you know, it's man's mind. Yeah. Five minutes. All right. Any other questions? Um, I got a comment, but my question was probably covered the first two days. This generation shall not pass away, 1948. Uh, is that, you? I know you don't want to get in, but is what, could that possibly be our parents' generation? My mother's still alive. There's many people in their mid-90s to over 100 now that are still alive. Does that mean my they're going to be gone or they're just going to still... I mean, still be leading the world, and or because that generation of oh, 1948 is almost as far as their influence on the world, it's nearly gone. Gone, yeah. We've but, got some in politics yet. That that what's that one woman that's on the court or whatever that's had cancer? How many different times oh, and whatever? And she's still oh, there. Ginsburg. She's still in office. Yeah. But do you, did you already cover that? I apologize. I no, no, I didn't. No. If I did, it was indirectly. But yeah, no, it's um, yeah, I really don't. I, I just feel we're so close and it's going to happen so fast. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time where I thought my generation was still a long ways away from seeing the return of Christ and Boy, lately, my my tune well, has changed. My generation was born around 1950. Yeah, and uh, if that's us, our days are it's getting close. But I'm thinking our parents' generation was in control. World War just at the end of World War II, and yeah. yeah. But if that's that generation, man, we're just we're just there, and uh, 
And I, the, the comment I wanted to make, I know you got like four minutes left, but I was reading um, Dr. Dobson's old ministry on education. Yeah. And uh, I'm on a charter school school board now, but the textbooks that are mandatory now for secular education are just pure, vile, humanist, anti-Christian propaganda. And yep. that's what our our children are being raised with. Yeah. And uh, and I, I just I'm just sharing that it's there and they covered it beautifully so in the publication I read this morning. But um, that's the war we're up against. The minds of our children have been compromised. I figure when I was in college I saw it. We all saw it, even at a conservative, what was a conservative institution, and uh, it, it was it was beginning in the uh, '60s, the emancipation of all the students, no more moral responsibility for universities. All that took place during my college years, and now our children were fighting for the core values, and if they they spend all those hours at school and so few time with parents because husbands and wives are working and out of the home and COVID-19 has been a blessing in that we're bringing one of the parents into the home yeah. in many situations. Economically devastating, but spiritually there's potential there for a lot of good. It's out and I'm not sure that I'm right or wrong in this, but for most of my life, I have been a huge, huge proponent of Christian families being in the public school system. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that I'm not a proponent of private schools and Christian education and public and uh, homeschooling and, and charter. I, I, I'm a proponent of those. I always have been. But I've always said, it's like, you know what? For me, I believe my job is to train people that we can send our kids into the public schools and bring an influence. I will say this, though. I'm starting to feel like we're losing the battle, to be honest. Um, I'm starting to get, now that I have two little guys that I'm bringing up again, I'm starting to get to the point where it's like, I'm not sure I want, even when they grow up in a Christian home and have faith values, I'm not sure that I want to put my kids out there. And I'm fighting it. I'm really fighting that battle right now. When my girls were up there, I was definitely, I want to teach and train my girls to be able to be an influence in the public school system. Um, and, but today, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough decision for us to make. And the history is being rewritten. Even math and science is rewritten. And uh, for the guy who believes in evolution, yeah. when I was a junior high student, we were taught, well, this is in the early 60s, late 50s, well, the sun's going to burn out in six and a half million years, okay? Pure science, we've lost three and a half million. Now it's three and a half million years and the sun's going to burn out, okay? What's that do? for the theory of evolution that goes back hundreds of millions of years. It's just pure science. It doesn't work right. for right. evolution. And evolution brought Hitler. Evolution brought all of the Arianism, all of that stuff came out of that theory. Good deal. Could I pray? You can, absolutely. <laughs> Let me pray with you. Thanks, Lord. This has been great discussion today. I just love to hear people's hearts. I love to know that... Uh, that you have still empowered your church. And uh, Lord, regardless of what's going on in the world around us, you promise that you'll take care of us. You'll hover over the church. 
and that you will protect us as we walk in battle together. So I pray that uh, as we um, go through this material, that we wouldn't become afraid or that we would hunker down anymore, but that we would rise up for battle and we would be grace and mercy and the love of Jesus Christ in our communities, knowing that we battle uh, uh, a war that we couldn't win without you. So uh, give us that strength today. And uh, I pray for each family as they continue through the camp this week, that their hearts would be softened and touched and their ears opened uh, to what it is that you have in store for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.